keep you that long, but I, I do want to let you know in advance that I have a, um, a hard message I want to share with you this morning. You say, well, we just heard the young people, we should uplifting and all that, but I'm actually going to give you this hard message because I think their lives are too important to overlook this. That's why I'm actually giving you. They, they deserve a church that's real. You all deserve to know Jesus in a very real way. This can't be a shallow thing. You have to go ahead and look something in the mirror sometimes. Sometimes that means saying some hard things to ourselves. I want to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 23 and your copy of God's Word. If you don't happen to, you can happen to bring one. In most of those pews in front of you, there's a hardback black book. Um, and it is the same uh, scripture that I'll be reading to you. If you'll find your place in Matthew chapter 23, we won't take the time to read the entire passage because the text is chapter 23, verses 13 to 36. Pretty long passage there. We won't read all of that, but we'll be glancing through that. So please follow along. Keep your Bible open because we'll be pointing to that as we go through this. But before I get into that, I want to begin with a word of prayer. Just ask the Lord to help me and we'll help you as well as we listen. Let's pray together. Lord, please, please help us. Please help us to take some of the passion that we saw from our youth, take some of the, I believe, genuine love of Christ that we saw from them, and I pray that you'll spark it in us. Sometimes, like Judy would say, it's just kind of, kind of, kind of forget and fade away. Think we don't need you, but Lord, we need you this morning. Please help me to preach, help these folks to listen. We ask this in Jesus' name. I want to give you just some broad strokes of a story about a young man. He was the pride and joy of his church. His family started attending that church when, when he was real little, a toddler even. He grew up in that church. He stayed in that church. He was involved in that church. He even grew up and led the, the youth of the church. He began leading the Sunday school and at a Wednesday night meeting, he would leave that for them. He was married in that church. A child dedicated in that church. Later on was ordained and even served as a deacon in that church. I mean, so far it sounds like to me, if, if I were y'all, that sounds like a success story if we were to say that in this church. Sang in the choir, did special music. Everything looked good on the outside looking in on this person, but it really wasn't good. Soon learned that this man had had an immoral relationship with a married woman in the church, that he was arrested and then indicted for indecent liberties. Later found that he would be teaching the young people as he was teaching a very vulgar, very sinful view of sexuality that has nothing to do with the Bible. And he taught things suggesting that because they might want to participate in things like drugs and alcohol, that that was okay, even though, of course, their parents would not have anything to do with that. The real shame, certainly the damage that he did to his own life, for sure, but the real shame was the damage he had done to the young people in the church. Even bigger shame, in my view, is how the church seemed to turn a bit of a blind eye to it. 
I'm not giving you a name. I'm not giving you a lot more particulars because, frankly, even though everything I just told you is a very specific story, very specific situation, I could tell that story, and you might even be able to tell that story time and again. For too many people in too many churches doing too much sin. And that's called hypocrisy. That's what that's called. It's too common. It's too often. It's not a joke. It's not pretty. And it doesn't make the people who practice it nor the people who are fooled by it any better. Hypocrisy. Hypocrite. In this passage in Matthew 23, Jesus uses the word hypocrite seven times. If you were to go through there, you'd be able to mark it seven times. He uses that word. A hypocrite, someone who proposes to be one thing, particularly, I'm talking to folks in a church setting, folks like you who look like you're in the right place doing the right thing. Young people, people are in the right place doing the right thing. If I could choose anywhere for you to be this morning, be sitting right here. That's wonderful. That's good. But proposing to be one thing, when actually when you go home, when you go to the restaurant, when you go to the workplace, when you go to school, when you're with your friends, when you're in those places that these people don't see you, you show up and act in a different way. Hypocrites caring more about how people think about them than about the actually knowing and living the truth of Jesus Christ. The word hypocrite, based on a, a Greek word, that basically is the same idea that we would have for an actress, someone who is putting on an act, pretending, showing themselves to be something. Uh, somebody who is acting as if they are maybe a superhero or acting like they're a police officer or acting like they are a, 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 a detective in, in an investigation. Entertaining, isn't it? I, I like to watch movies. I like to watch TV shows. And it would be a shame if every actor got on there and was themselves. I like them to put on a show for me. That's entertaining. That's great. Entertaining in TV and the movies, but in real life, it's not so entertaining. In fact, in this text, Jesus says not only is it wrong, it actually does the opposite of what you think you're doing. You're actually not doing what you intend to do. In this passage, Jesus pronounces eight woes, W-O-E-S, woes. And I believe, as best as I could tell, most translations use that word, woe. That word woe is an exclamation, a promise to say there's some impending doom that's about to happen. Another way we might say it is, I would say, there's a curse coming on you. Something bad's about to happen to you. That's how we might say it today. We might look at something and say, that's shameful for shame for shame. He's giving eight different woes. These are in, I'll just mark them for you. What I might do if I were you, if you mark in your Bible, maybe circle those or underline them, but let me just point them out to you very briefly. There's one in verse 13. If you have a King James Version, which is what I'm using, you'll see one in verse 14. It's missing from a couple of versions, but in King James, it's, missed, it's, it's there. It's also in Mark chapter 12 and verse 14, 40, excuse me, Mark 12, 40, the same verse. There's another woe, the third woe in verse 15. There's one in verse 16, one in verse 23, 27, and 29. If I did my math right, you got eight woes there, right? There's eight woes. 
He's specifically crying these woes, these warnings, these promise of impending doom against religious people. He's talking to Pharisees. These are people that are... I, I know y'all don't want to be called Pharisees this morning. But, by the way, at that time, being called a Pharisee would not have been the slander that it is today. So I'm just going to call y'all Pharisees this morning. We're all Pharisees. We look good. We do religious things. That's essentially what he's saying. He's saying, religious people, watch out. Be careful. Look out. Look out. Be careful. The first three woes are in verses 13, 14, and 15. And these woes are first about the fact that hypocrisy destroys other people. Hypocrisy destroys other people. You'll see in verse 13, he says there, let's just read that together. He says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer you them that are entering to go in. He's saying you're keeping people out of heaven. You are holding up an impossible standard, whatever standard you happen to make up. You're holding that up and requiring that they live up to your standards, your expectations, and that's going to keep them out of heaven because we know that's not the way to heaven. The way to heaven is not me, it's not you, it's nobody's standards, it's only through Jesus Christ. And he says, you're keeping people out of heaven. Then in verse 14, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. What was happening in this case was that these uh, religious leaders, because they were, um, may, may have been in a position to not be compensated very well, some of them weren't, and so what they might do is they would actually go out and they would deceive people. It says uh, widows' homes, they would go in and uh, this is what, it was going all the way back in the ancient world. It happened then, it continues to happen today where you've got preachers and, and people who are proposing to be pastors who would stand up and basically built God's people out of money. And that's what was going on here. And he is saying that these people are destroying the lives and the livelihood of people in the name of religion. And doing so while acting like they're good Christians. Acting like everything's okay. Their, their legalism is turning people away from Christ but also they're using their power and their position to hurt and harm people. I want you to know what Jesus says about this in Matthew chapter 18. He says, Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. I, I, I know I'm the interim pastor here. I know that. And that has certain responsibilities and certain limitations. But I'm going to tell you, in as much as I have any authority, any responsibility in this church, that we will protect our young people. We will protect our elderly. We will protect the vulnerable. We will protect those people. And in as much as I have any opportunity to do so, that means putting regulations, that means putting obstacles, stumbling blocks, uh, uh, every possible thing we can to put in place. It's not going to be full safe. It's not foolproof. It's not going to be. Because as you can see here, <laughs> they're pretty wily creatures here, the hypocrites. But I'm trying to get you to see that y'all better just go ahead and put a stone around your neck and jump off into the ocean as to hurt one of our young ones, our little ones, our, care, our ones that put under our care. But he says there that people are destroying our lives in the name of religion. He says in verse 15, Woe unto you, you blind guides. 
whatsoever shall, excuse me, I'll jump down to verse 16, go to verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. Selling him a false gospel. Selling him a saying, listen, if you look a certain way, you act like me, you say things like me, you do things like me, you're going to be okay. And he says, the only thing you're doing, you're not saving them, you're sending them on a one-way street to hell. You are sending them directly to hell. Paul says of these kinds of people that if they preach another gospel in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 9, if they preach any other gospel, let them be accursed. I want you to understand the, the, the message here is that your hypocrisy is damned, your hypocrisy is despicable, your hypocrisy is damaging. You might look good for a season. You might have all of us fooled. You may do it. You may fool me. You may fool everybody. But there's going to be a reward for your hypocrisy. And those eternal rewards will be that you'll be sending people to hell that you'll be leading people astray and you'll be damaging people's lives. And that's the price that you're going to pay. It's the price your family's going to pay. It's the price this church will pay. That's the price this community will pay if we do continue in our ways of hypocrisy. We had better be what we're supposing to be. I want to ask you now, look with me in verse 16. This is the second set of woes, the, the next two, verse 16 and then verse 23. I, I'm just going to read verse 16. There's a whole section here. It goes from 16 to 22. I won't read all of that. But they're saying in verse 16, he says, Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. And if you're sitting there listening to what I just said and say, What in the world is he talking about? Just welcome to the club. It sounds confusing, doesn't it? What was happening was people were saying, I promise, I swear to you, this is going to happen. And when it didn't happen, they would say, well, I, I made a promise, but I didn't swear the, a certain way. They said, I would swear by the temple, not the gold of the temple. And you say, well, I don't understand the difference between that. I know, welcome again. You read what Jesus says. Jesus says, there is no difference. You're, 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 you're mincing words. You're, you're making a distinction that isn't a distinction. What they're doing is they were playing word games to justify themselves. Their intended reaction, their intended hope, was that they said it a certain way they could get themselves off the hook. That they could basically lie and say, oh, I didn't mean it like that. That's basically what they were doing. But the actual result, Jesus said, was you may think that you're playing word games and winning the game, but no, 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 you're still on the hook for that vow, for that promise that you made. Now, I want to make sure you all understand this, because I know I don't necessarily swear by the temple myself. I don't know if you all do or not, but I don't. But you know what we do? We do play these word games. We say things like, church is super important to me, most important thing. So that time when something else becomes a little more important in my life, and I find a way to justify. I say, oh, it's still important. I'm justifying it because I'm going to do this other thing. It's, it's just, you know, you know how it is. Again, don't, don't say amen or oh, just say oh me if you need to, but that's what I will do. So we say, you know what? I think foul language cursing is a terrible thing. Oh, not do it. Until that time somebody cuts you off or you hit your thumb or something comes up where you just sort of can't, you got an excuse. Don't you have an excuse? Don't you have good reasons? I know I do, but that's what we do. We play word games. 
oh, adultery is terrible, destroys homes, can't imagine anybody being involved in that. But then there's that conversation you have with that co-worker or that person that you know or that friend that from an outsider looking in, it's really crossing a line. You know better. But you've got an excuse. You've got a reason. It's not as bad as you think it is. This is what the Pharisees do. They play word games to justify themselves. Things are right or they are wrong, and we can try to justify ourselves, but what the hypocrite does is he tries to do so simply to cover his own tracks. Beginning in verse 23, I want to ask you to skip down there to verse 23. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin, but have, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you have to done and not leave the other undone. There's another thing that they were doing because they were failing God's law because they were playing word games, saying, well, you know, it isn't as bad as you think it is, but they were also saying, we'll meet the parts of the law that we can meet. It's easy for me to cut out and say, okay, here's my spice rack, and I'm going to take 10% of my spices, and I'm going to take them to the church. Here's my paycheck, I'm going to get 10% of my paycheck and give it to the church. That's essentially what they were doing. They were paying a tithe of everything. I mean, they were going through and they were taking a detailed accounting of everything. But he says, you were doing the outward action, but you were ignoring the inward attitude of justice, judgment, and mercy, and faith. They were lowering the bar. They were saying, we'll, just, we'll meet this stuff. You can't check my heart, you know, because you can't, you can't tell what's in my heart, can you? I can't tell what's in your heart. You can all lie to each other. That's what we do. That's what hypocrites do. But he's saying, you're not going to meet God's law by lowering the bar. In fact, we can lower the bar. We can ignore God's standards, but that will not make you better. You can't justify yourself to satisfy God's law. You're still going to fall short of God's righteousness no matter what kind of thing you look like on the outside, you're just dishonoring God's law. And what's worse is this is the thing hypocrites never really realize that everybody else sees through it too. We all, and let me tell you, by the way, since it is youth study, let me just point this out. Do you know who knows your, your hypocrisy more than anybody else in this church? It's the first three views right here. They see right through it. That's why... Too many churches don't have their young people coming back because they know what mom and daddy's up to when they're not in church. They know what those neighbors really are like. They understand. They're not stupid. And I want you to know that you're not only failing God's law, but you're failing everybody around you as well. Not only does hypocrisy fail God's law, but also it obscures the rock of our sin. Look at me in verse 25. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. These next two woes are simply about cleaning up the outside and not the inside. He talks about these, these dishes where they, they've washed the outside but not cleaned the inside. Now, let me just tell you, if I'm going to eat off of your plates and your cups and your, your silverware, I'd like it all to be clean, just to be honest with you. That's what I'd like. But if I have to choose, if I have to pick the outside or the inside, which one am I going to pick? I'm going to pick the inside. You can keep the outside a little bit dirty if you have. If I have to choose that, 
But I don't want the inside to be clean, or dirty. I want it to be clean. Again, just make sure we're all clear in case anybody's taking record of this. I want the whole dish to be clean. Please. Just so we know. Okay. But the inside matters more. That's where my, the liquid that I'm going to ingest, that's where the, the platter is going to be picked up. I'm, gonna, I'm going to eat off of that. The inside that matters more, and that's absolutely true of our lives as well. The way, the way Jesus puts this in, Matt, in Mark chapter 7, I want you to listen to this. He says, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murder, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. He says all of those sins, all of these evil things come from within and defile the man. You can look perfect on the outside, but if on the inside you're full of sin and foolishness, I'll just tell you, eventually it's going to come out, first of all. Second of all, it's going to pollute everything around you. It's out of the abundance of your heart that you speak, Jesus said. Then in verse 27, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all of all uncleanness. The grave holds a dead body. That's just the nature of it. Now, I understand, as we rightly should, we have loved ones, that we honor them, and we may go to their grave site and put flowers and all those things, but I can't imagine there's anybody that says, I want that body dug up. Even as much as you love them, you don't want that. You want to be reunited with them in heaven. You, you cherish their memories, all of those things. But we all recognize that at the base, I don't care how pretty it is, a graveyard is full of bodies that are decaying and decomposed the minute that, they, that their life goes out of them. And I'm telling you that simply because that's what grave holds and what the, hypo- the hypocrite has inside of him is no matter how he's decorated up, his insides are polluted and deteriorating and going, uh, uh, falling apart is absolutely, no matter how you decorate it, it's a mess. All the point of all that is to simply say that acting good doesn't make you good. This is why ministers molest. This is why PTA moms embezzle. This is why people that you look at from the outside looking in, they look good, but there's something rotten inside. There's something sinful inside. And I want to tell you all, because I, I don't know your heart. This is where this is between you and the Lord. You understand that. But I do want you to know that you can't fake it to fix this stuff. You can fake it all you want to, but your anger is going to reside there. Your shame will continue. Those addictions will continue to eat you alive. Your depression, your guilt, your emptiness, it's all going to stay there. Pretending it's not there does not make the corruption vanish. Jesus says in Luke 12, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. Neither kids that shall not be known. Your hypocrisy is nothing more than a temporary cover over the rot of your sin, and it's a shabby one of that. It won't last long. Finally, hypocrisy ignores the truth. The 
final woe in verse 29 talks about, I won't take the time to read it, but it simply talks about how these people that he was talking to would celebrate the prophets of old. They celebrated these old prophets. But he said, your mamas and daddies and grandmas and grandpas were the same people that killed and persecuted those prophets. And in fact, he said, if you had the chance, you would do the same thing again. Did you happen to know that they actually did exactly the same thing again? Jesus is standing there talking to the same people that when, in a matter of months would turn him over to the Roman authorities so that he would be nailed to a cross, beaten inhumanely. Because these people, they acted like they, they loved the old prophets. But did you know what the old prophets preached about? They preached about a coming Messiah. They preached about the fact that they needed to turn from their wicked ways and turn to the hope of Jesus. They need, that's what they were preaching about. And they said, no, 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 we don't want that. We reject that. And that's exactly what they're going to do again. They rejected, if you go to verse 34 and 35, you'll see that they rejected every prophet all the way back to um, Abel, all the way to the very last prophet of Zechariah. They would continue to reject all of those prophets from, from the first to the last, and it wasn't going to stop now. Why? Because that's what hypocrites do. They don't want to see the truth. They want to turn away from the truth. They ignore the truth. Here's my conclusion. Hypocrisy destroys people. Hypocrisy will not do what you think it will. It will fail to meet God's law and God's standards. Hypocrisy, you think it makes you look good, but we can still smell the stench of your sin. Hypocrisy will put you in a frame of mind that when you're looking the truth in the eye, you will reject it. We need something. We need something to save ourselves from that. We let hypocrisy run rampant like too many people do. Our young people are going to be damaged. Our church will not have a future. Our families and our communities will continue to go running into the ground. We need something. The answer is to believe in the message of Jesus Christ. All this week, somebody had up a little placard that said, Wise men still seek him. Good, good thought. Talking about the wise men of the, um, when Jesus was born, his, his uh, coming, saying how if you're wise today, you'll still seek him. Good thought. I agree with it. Let me add a less placable, not something to put up on your wall, but, uh, but the same idea. Wise men do still seek him, but religious people. Still rejecting him after all these years. Your hypocrisy, as I told you, it will destroy people. You know what Jesus says? He says, if you will replace your hypocrisy with the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I'm going to quit trying to do all this myself, you know what will happen? Families will be restored, relationships will be reconciled, our young people will have something to respect and to look up to. Our churches will thrive and flourish because Jesus gives life. He saves. That's what He does. My hypocrisy will fail to meet God's standard every time. But did you know what Jesus came to do? He came to meet, to satisfy. He is one of my favorite words in the Bible. He is the propitiation. 
He is that thing that meets the need. He is that thing that satisfies. You don't have to play word games with Jesus. You don't have to lower the standard with Jesus. Jesus is the standard, and He meets the standard. So you don't have to try anymore. You have to say, Lord, you do this now. He meets the standard. Your hypocrisy is only just going to hide the rot that's on the inside. But Jesus, you know what He does? You heard him say it. He turns graves into gardens. He actually walked up to a man's grave one day, and his whole family, Jesus himself, was crying over that man, Lazarus. And he just said, Hey, Lazarus, come forth. This is what he does. He gives like They killed him. They put him in the grave. He was dead. And you know what he did? He just got up. He gave Himself life. He is the giver of life. You can just paper over the deadness of your soul. But Jesus comes in and He raises us back to life. He gives us life. Your hypocrisy will absolutely ignore the truth, but I want you to know that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot go to the Father through any other means other than through Jesus Christ. The cure for the hypocrisy of too many religious people, and I'm afraid too many even in this room, and I'm saying that as a general statement, because y'all ain't told me nothing and I don't know nothing. Just want you to know that. But God knows. You know. You know where you are. I think that the cure, I know that the cure for that hypocrisy is looking to, leaning on, the reality of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to put your faith in Him today. I'm going to call a little bit of an audible right here. I know that your bulletin's got something specified, and I apologize if I'm messing everything up. I'm going to change something. Vanessa, could you come and play something for me? We're not going to sing. We're just going to listen. She's just going to play something. I've got to talk to her about this. I'm going to ask you all to stand. I'm just going to ask you to stand. We're not going to take all day on this. We'll take all the time we need, but we're not going to take all day. We're going to take a minute. I'm going to ask you, in just a moment, when I pray, if you don't mind, just don't pay attention to anybody else. Just maybe bow your head, talk to the Lord for a few minutes. You need to come forward. You can come to the front of this church and pray, talk to the Lord. If you are a Christian and you know you are a hypocrite on something, take it to Jesus. He will fix the problem. Come to Him. If you're not a Christian and you're trying to pretend to look good on this thing, you come to Jesus and He'll save your soul. So you will no longer be a hypocrite, but you can be real in Christ. I want to encourage you to come. Lord, please, please move among these people. They've heard the truth. I pray that they have been convicted by the Holy Spirit of God. And I pray that you will motivate them to hear you, motivate them to run to you, motivate them to respond to you, to no longer pretend that they're okay, so that we can stop this damage, so that we can turn the tide, we can take the gates of hell, we can change this world. Please help us, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name.